0: This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to God, Trump, and the 2020 election. It's my new podcast in which I am talking about the issues facing the nation and why I believe that uh, Christians must support Donald Trump in this election. The week before I did this podcast and write the op-ed that will accompany it, Mark Alley, the respected editor-in-chief, Of Christianity Today uh, did an op ed that has become um, the darling of the left wing media uh, because he attacked Donald Trump, said he should be impeached, said he should be removed from office. Uh, You can read his op ed, it speaks for itself. I am not here to attack Mark Galley, who I consider to be a professional friend, and I've known for a number of years. The previous podcast I did, I go into that background a little bit. Today, I want to talk about Mark Galley and Never Trumpers, because I dealt with it in the second book that I wrote about the president called Trump Aftershock. I interviewed him in the spring of 2018 because I wanted to know why it was that some evangelicals were never Trumpers. I frankly couldn't understand. To me, if you love Jesus, if you believe the Bible, if you believe that you have to accept Christ as your Savior for salvation, if you believe that someday he's going to come as a reigning king, if you believe what the Bible says about morality, that you have no alternative especially in the current environment, than to support Donald Trump, who, as I've said previously, has become the champion of Christian values. I reached out to Mark because I knew him and knew that Christianity Today did not support Donald Trump. I knew that they had not officially said they were never Trumpers. And uh, after I interviewed Mark and I wrote the section about him, uh, which starts, if you're interested, on page 176 of Trump Aftershock. I sent it to him. I vetted it by him, as I did with all of my sources, because if I got it wrong, I wanted them to tell me. I wanted to understand why they thought it was wrong, and if I agreed, I wanted to change it. I did not give them veto power, but you know, I have no, I have no purpose in misquoting someone So I sent it to him, and he uh, very quickly responded. He did not want me to call him a never-Trumper. He told me that he did not support Donald Trump. He didn't like Donald Trump. He wouldn't vote for Donald Trump again. But he also shared with me the mindset. And instead of me just opining about what he said, I'm going to actually read what I wrote in Trump Aftershock. Now, remember, this was a year and a half before his famous op-ed, which he wrote just a few days before retiring as editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. So here's what I wrote. With Donald Trump keeping so many promises involving issues most evangelicals believe are important, some would ask, why does a segment of the evangelical church identify as never-Trumpers? Considering that only about 20% of evangelicals did not vote for him in 2006, I would have expected these individuals to come around to support Trump, just as I did in 2016, after they began to see the president and what he has actually accomplished. To understand this, I interviewed Mark Galley, editor-in-chief of Christianity Today magazine. While Christianity Today did not support candidates from either party, one could tell from their editorials that they were not Trump fans. I learned that Galley didn't support him either when both of us were interviewed by the New York Times during the week that Judge Roy Moore lost his election in the Senate. Times writer Lori Goodstein interviewed me the day before the election and tried to get me to say that evangelicals were tarnishing the evangelical brand. According to Goodstein, Supporting someone as so imperfect as Trump and his buddy, Roy Moore, we had betrayed our principles. I've known and admired Galley for many years as he came up through the ranks at Christianity Today. Goodstein's lead said that he didn't need to wait for the votes to be counted to publish an essay say, quote, whoever wins, there is already one loser, Christian faith, Unquote. She quoted Galley as writing, no one will believe a word we say, perhaps for a generation. Christianity's integrity is severely tarnished, unquote. She added, The sight of white evangelical voters in Alabama giving their overwhelming support to Roy S. Moore has deeply troubled many conservative Christians who fear that the association with the likes of Mr. Moore is giving their faith a bad name. The angst has grown so deep Mr. Galley said, that he knows of many card-carrying evangelicals who are ready to disavow this label. The New York Times then quoted Ed Sturtzer, executive director of the Billy Graham Center of Wheaton College, a prominent evangelical school in Illinois, as saying, It grieves me. I don't want evangelical to mean people who supported candidates with significant and credible accusations against them. If evangelical means that, It has serious ramifications for the work of Christians and churches. As a reporter myself, I realized Goodstein has storyline and was looking for some juicy quotes to back it up. I wasn't about to give her the soundbite she wanted, but instead I tried to explain that with the way the country's been headed the last half century, we needed someone to be disruptive. I believe God answered our prayers in a way we didn't expect, I said, for a purpose we didn't even necessarily like. She quoted me correctly as, and also identified me as the author of God, Trump, and the founder of Charisma Media. I went on to say, Christians believe in redemption and forgiveness, so they're willing to give Donald Trump a chance. Then I added that support by born-again Christians cannot be taken for granted. If he turns out to be a lecher like Bill Clinton, I said, or dishonest in some kind of way, in a way that's proven, you'll see the support fade as quickly as it came. That was quoted fairly enough. But in our one-hour interview, I tried to explain that Jesus had said that, quote, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven and that there are some people who identify as Christians but don't accept the essential doctrines of faith, I was simply posing the question of whether or not never-Trumpers and other Trump-haters are actually believers at all. During the interview, the writer never mentioned Mark Galley or Ed Sturtzer. She interviewed me the day of the election and interviewed both of the others the day after, When the story appeared in print, Goodstein quoted Galli and Sturtzer as having deep reservations about Judge Moore and Donald Trump and quoted Gallia saying that the evangelical brand is tarnished. She followed that quote by quoting me, Mr. Strang said that those who talk about Mr. Trump tarnishing the evangelical brand are not really believers. They're not with us anyway. While I did say that, my words were taken out of context. I had posed the idea hypothetically about an unnamed person or people, yet my comment created a short lived Twitter frenzy, with people blasting me as saying anyone who didn't agree with me wasn't a believer. Worse than that, it made me look as if I had said Mark Galley and Ed Sturtzer, both of whom I respect and consider friends, were non believers. When I read the article online on December 14th, 2017, under the headline, "Fallout for Evangelicals After a Chaotic Election," I was stunned. I immediately called both men and told them my words were quoted out of context and I would have never said that. Christian leaders are not believers because of political differences. Thankfully, both men accepted my explanation and I learned to be cautious the next time I talked to a reporter from the New York Times. Months later, I interviewed Mark Galley for this book. I did so to try to understand the never-Trumper mindset. Galley made it clear he has never been a never-Trumper per se, even though he did not vote for him and likely would not vote for him in 2020. He mentioned several Trump accomplishments, appointing Neil Gorsuch, to the Supreme Court, defending religious liberty, bringing North Korea to the negotiating table, and securing the release of three Korean Christians, acknowledging each of those things as important victories for Christians. Moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem was a bold move. He acknowledged that sometimes leaders make bold moves that everyone thinks are wrong but later turn out to be right. Quote, you can't fault Trump for not making bold moves, he said. He also wanted to set the record straight about a, a few things from the New York Times article. For example, he didn't specifically say the evangelical brand was tarnished. He told me, quote, I meant it this way. To people on the left, evangelical support for Trump makes them respect evangelicals less. That's a reality. And on the other hand, Support for Trump has not tarnished the brand to all the conservatives who voted for Trump. Where Galley and those who agree with him have a problem is what I see now as a fundamental difference in style. They consider Trump brash, blustering, and a populist. There are different segments of American life that just do not like populism. Or the leaders of the populist movement, Galley told me. They think they are dangerous, just a few steps away from becoming a Hitler or a Stalin. Unquote. Instead, Galli said he prefers leadership to be understated, to speak softly, and carry a big stick. I asked him if he believed Trump's uh, dalliance with a porn star a couple of years ago diminishes his obvious political success. He responded, quote, When he's dealing with Saudi Arabia or Korea, I doubt they're thinking once or twice about whether he had an affair with Stormy Daniels or not, Unquote. But he went on to say that in the long run, we want our presidents to be good examples of our ideals, people our kids and grandkids can look up to. And he doesn't feel Trump does that. The real conundrum, he said, is how so many evangelicals support him when he's had such a checkered past. Quote, For the longest time, evangelicals have said that the character of our leaders is one of the most important aspects of leadership. And they have now taken a stance and said, That's not as important as his policies are carried out. Conservative evangelicals have taken some time to get respect in the public square, And they want to be seen as legitimate players in the world of culture and politics. Along comes Donald Trump and breaks all the rules. From the perspective of our international reputation, Galley said emphatically, Trump is an embarrassment to the country. While I respect Mark Galley and honor his opinion, we don't agree on a lot of things, including theological differences, but we can agree that the most important thing for Christians on both the left and the right is that there is a higher kingdom. In a way, I understand where Galley and those who share his opinions are coming from. For 20 years, I was a registered Democrat, which meant I couldn't vote in the Republican primary when Pat Robertson ran for president in 1988. But when I registered to vote, The 1973 Roe v. Wade decision allowing abortion had not yet happened. The biggest issues dividing the nation at the time were the Vietnam War and the civil rights demonstrations in the South. I beat the drum for racial equality then and now, but my political views were in for a major change. And that's the end of what I wrote about Mark Galley in Trump Aftershock. Let me just say that I felt his insight was helpful, that there are certain people, Christians included, evangelical Christians among them, who feel that the status quo must be nudged along. There are a lot of people in Washington who think that. We've come to call them the deep state. And, of course, Donald Trump, Opposes the deep state, which he calls the swamp, as do many Americans who feel it's time for change. Donald Trump is a disruptor. Let me just close this by saying, I don't approve of what Donald Trump did, nor what Lyndon Baines Johnson did in the White House, Bill Clinton did in the White House. I'm talking about their sexual escapades. And the same is true of John F. Kennedy. The press looked the other way. In fact, when I was on CNN with Allison Camerato, she asked me, didn't I think that evangelicals were looking the other way when it came to Stormy Daniels? By the way, I believe what the president said about Stormy Daniels is that she was lying, and we've seen a lot of that. We saw it with the accusations against Judge Kavanaugh, but that's a subject for another day. Uh, She asked me if uh, Allison asked me if evangelicals were looking the other way. I was on live TV. I had no way to rehearse this, of course, but I heard myself saying, "No more than the press looked the other way with John Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson, or even Bill Clinton." And then she said, "Well, isn't it something that I me, mean, isn't evangelical, was quoting the press?" She was implying that evangelicals dislike the press, and frankly, most do. But I said to her, well, I'm a journalist, so I can say that. And then we went on to other topics. And I am a journalist. I got a journalism degree from the University of Florida. I'm very proud of that. Go Gators. And uh, began my career as a newspaper reporter here in Orlando, Florida. But even back in the 1970s, as an evangelical Believer, while I was able to get a few stories in, I did a uh, uh, an objective but a kind interview with Catherine Coleman uh, in the Orlando Sentinel about a year before she died. One of the last interviews ever done by her. Um, but the uh, Sentinel, which was actually considered pretty conservative back then. Uh, was very, very liberal, and as an evangelical, I was very, very much uh, ostracized in the newsroom. Um, I don't remember people attacking me, but um, I just did not want to claw my way to the top (laughs) in an organization like that or other organizations. I actually had a job offer from the Miami Herald and Associated Press back in that era. Uh, I was a very committed Christian. I was on fire for the Lord, is to use the way the Pentecostals say it. The charismatic movement was in high gear at the time, and I felt that it wasn't really being covered the way it should be covered. There were a lot of stories that needed to be told. So I had an idea to start a small magazine. That's just a little bit about my background. But even back in the 70s, I could see how very, very liberal things were. I'll also say one other thing that— I've probably never really shared publicly, but before there was Christianity Today, there was another great magazine called Christian Life. It was founded by Robert Walker in 1948, and it was the Christian magazine of the era. In fact, it was the first magazine to put Billy Graham on the cover, and um, it was 1952, and he did a, a very... They did a a question-answer interview with him that is very, very interesting to read all these years later. In fact, when Billy Graham had his uh, 95th birthday, we pulled it out, and I think we actually published it online because he talked about how important— that was the most important election of their lifetime, which is something we hear often these days. Every time an election comes around, people say that. Uh, Billy Graham was uh, early 30s, I think, at the time. Robert Walker was actually— Uh, one of his uh, um, uh, very, very close friends and advisors. I'm hesitating because I was going to say he was on his board. I don't literally remember if that was true. Uh, Christian Life magazine was literally next door, I mean next door to Christianity Today. I visited their offices a number of times at the corner of Gunders Gunderson and Schmale and Wheat in uh, Carroll Stream. We always say Wheaton because Wheaton's right next door. And um, uh, in 1986, when Mr. Walker was in his 70s, he um, we merge Christian life and charisma. Uh, it, uh, people don't really remember him very much. He died in um, 2007 and at age uh, 96. and um, But what he did in his era was very di- similar to what I do now. When it came time for him to turn his ministry over to someone, that's how he considered it. Um, he could have turned it over to Christianity today. Um, it, it would have made a lot of sense in some ways. Instead, he approached me. And um, it actually worked pretty well because uh, he was actually one of the first people to report on the modern charismatic movement in the early 50s. He himself received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people didn't know that. He kind of kept his voice down in Wheaton. Uh, He never really told me what to do, but I think he thought that Charisma should have moved from Orlando up to Wheaton back then. Uh, We did talk about it a little bit. At the time, Wheaton was kind of the center of evangelicalism. Uh, across the street from Christianity Today was a National Association of Evangelicals. There were many missions organizations there. Tyndall House, the great evangelical publishing house, is right down the street. I mean, literally. It's like Embassy Row in Washington, D.C., one right after the other. And, um, but I had no interest in going to Wheaton. Um, I didn't need those people approval. They didn't help me get started. I just had had nothing against them. I still have nothing against them. It's been interesting to see that since the mid-'80s, when this conversation happened, that a lot of uh, evangelical ministries have moved to Colorado Springs, and quite a few have moved to my hometown, Orlando, Uh, uh, Camps Crusade and Wycliffe being the two major ones, but also Ligonier Ministries is here, and I could name a whole lot of others. So uh, Wheaton, the Wheaton area is still very important to evangelicalism. Uh, Wheaton College, of course, is there. But there are other centers of evangelicalism, and you know they represent uh, different uh, tribes, let's say. A lot of people use that term, and I think it's an accurate term. So I just say this to say that Christianity Today and Mark Galley do not speak for all of evangelicals. Um, you know when this whole thing with uh, Christianity Today came out, um, Robert Jeffress, who is the respected pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, came out very, very strongly. And um, I had I had quoted him in one of my books as as actually uh, kind of taking some. I'll, I was gonna. I want to be careful with my words. Now, he didn't really come out swinging at Christianity Today. He's he's a wonderful Christian gentleman, but he kind of poked at them because uh, Christianity Today did all these polls that showed that uh, with uh, polls of leaders and showed very very few of them supporting Donald Trump. Yet eighty one percent of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump in spite of what of the of what some of these liberal uh, evangelicals said. The more conservative ones, like Dr. James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, Jr., uh, Dr. Jeffress himself, um, and a number of others, have come out very, very strongly uh, in support of Donald Trump, uh, both in the election and also criticizing Christianity Today. And, you know, there's probably a lot more that could be said. It could probably... Be said better than I'm saying it, but I've been in this business a long, long time. I have observed these things up close and personal. I've, of course, formed my own opinions. I try to be clear about what I believe. Um, There are some things that we choose to write about and editorialize about, other things we choose not to. In this instance, I felt that I should speak up just because of the frenzy in the media. Hopefully um, hopefully, my comments and my op-ed will be picked up because I think the other side needs to be told. Charisma Magazine is very similar in size to uh, Christianity Today, and that's only important to the, scent, uh, to the extent that we do speak for an awful lot of people in the evangelical community. It's a different slice of the pie, so to speak, But um, I felt it was important to to speak up. I don't know if Mark Galley will listen to this podcast or not. But if you are listening, Mark, I want you to know that I love you and appreciate you as a Christian brother. I do believe that there are policies or there's issues that supersede politics. These issues will be important long after Donald Trump is out of office and long after you and I are totally off the scene. Uh, Others will have to uh, hold up the banner. I know that you are doing your best to do that. Uh, You do it with a different worldview than I do. You look through a different prism than I do. I'm very, very concerned about the decadence of our culture, about the way that things are just changing so rapidly. And I believe that we need a, a disruptor like Donald Trump Uh, to try to slow things down. And I also am so concerned about what's happening on the other side. And, you know, I wish that you would opine just about how uh, bad um, some of these policies are on the left. And yes, we need to show the love of Jesus. I hope that I'm showing the love of Jesus and how I'm dealing with this. Although it's not about me, and it's not about what I do. It's also not about the evangelical brand. I think if we start thinking of it a brand, as a brand instead of being followers of Jesus, I think that's very, very dangerous. I know that you and others, David Neff before you, and, and people in the NAE, uh, such as Joel Hunter and different people that I know, uh, have worked very hard to make evangelicalism respectable. Respectable and you know maybe in my own way i'm trying to make charismatics respectable so you know i don't want to take the mote out of your eye and have a log in my own but it's not about being respectable uh jesus didn't tell us to be that he told us to be salt and light in the world and that's what i'm trying to do and that's why i'm trying to add something i hope it adds something to to the discussion and to the debate and with that i'll close and just mention that if you're interested in Trump Aftershock, you can still get it. It's in books, some bookstores, but mostly you can get it online. And I notice that the price is very low on Amazon.com. That must mean that they bought too many copies and they're trying to sell them. So go help out Amazon and buy the copy. I think you'll find an interesting read of the three books that I wrote. It was the one in which I tried to be respectable and a little bit more academic and uh, kind of play down the the, the Christian and, and God aspect to it. God and Donald Trump was absolutely about how I believe that God raised up Donald Trump like he raised up Cyrus and how Christian prophets uh, prophesied it long before it was fashionable. And this new book, uh, God, Trump, in the 2020 election, which comes out January 14th, is – my impassioned plea to the Christian community. I, I write it to Christians. It's written to Christians about how, uh, what's at stake. But Trump aftershock in between was kind of about the first uh, two years he was in office, and it was about the aftershocks of the earthquake of his election, both good and bad. It was On one hand, it was all his many, many accomplishments, which I document uh, the, his first 500 days of accomplishments. And the other was the aftershock of how the left just absolutely went unhinged um, and also how people like George Soros and other billionaire radicals have actually funded a lot of this. And if you're interested, you, as I said, you can go to um, Amazon.com and buy Trump Aftershock or if you, for your reading enjoyment, you could read all three. It's... <laughs> you, um, I've written almost 300,000 words about this. I've done the very best job I can. Other people are better writers, I'm sure. But I I try to do it because I believe that when it comes right down to it, it's a spiritual aspect that's important. In fact, I have a whole section in the new book called Understanding the Spiritual Dimension, and I write about spiritual warfare and Donald Trump. And... Um, You know, hopefully what I'm saying will make you want to read it, but I didn't do it, as I said before, to sell books, but because I'm wanting to do my part to influence sincere Bible-believing Christians. In fact, when I was asked by the secular media, and I found that a lot of the secular journalists that I dealt with know almost nothing about evangelicals other than the stereotypes. And they would ask me, why does an evangelical, and I'd say it's a Bible-believing born again church going tithe paying christian <laughs> just you know just saying that we're not perfect but but we do try to take our christianity important it is important and to try, try to take it seriously in how we actually live our lives so with that I'll wrap up this edition of god trump in the 2020 election tune in again for another edition in which I share different aspects of my book, which are really just dealing with the issues that are facing America at this time. God bless you.